persistence culture. Persistence, firm or obstinate continuance in a course of action in spite of difficulty or opposition. Culture, the customs, arts, social institutions, and achievements of a particular nation, people, or other social group. Keep moving. This is Persistence Culture. We are a lifestyle brand changing lives all over the world. I am your co-host Mambo, and we got Jason in the house. What's up, Jason? Mambo, what is going on, brother? How you doing today? Uh, doing good, man. It's been a, a good week at, at work, and uh, it's been a good week. Finally, at work? finally, I'm using uh, some time management right. Nice. Uh, I'm not overworking, so uh, that's a good thing. That's good. That's good, man. And you know what today is? Today is episode 100, man. Nice, nice, it's crazy. So, episode 100. You know what? Uh, when I realized who our guests were going to be uh, today, I I think this is going to be a great. 100th oh, episode. Perfect set of guests for the 100th episode. Uh, today's guests are masters of setting and accomplishing goals and are on a mission to help you get more out of life. They are dedicated to help you create a future that otherwise wouldn't exist. And they do it through workshops, financial coaching, team building events, goal setting, and so much more. We have the owners and founders of the Skull and Bone Society, Dusty and Cecily Breeding in studio. What's Hi. up, guys? Hey, hey thanks hey. so much for having us on. And congrats to 100. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's incredible. Triple digits. Yes. Welcome to the yellow table. Triple digits. It's crazy. It's yeah. been about like, well, like two and a half years to get here. Yeah. It took, it took us a while to get it going, but once we got going, uh, it yeah. was a uh, nonstop after that. Yeah. It's, it's been awesome. A, it's been a journey. This is like studio number like five and a half or something along those <laughs> yeah. lines. So, you know, we've got evicted from a few places, had to bum a few places, crash a couple couches, but uh, we made it to episode a hundred and we're stoked that you guys are here. So welcome to the yellow table for episode 100. Thank you. Honored to be here. Stoked to talk with you guys. Yeah. So let's start, let's start with Skull and Bone Society. Where did the idea for this company begin? Well, maybe I'll start with the name. Yeah, um, let's do it. So I guess it was back in 2017. I had a sabbatical from, from my work and uh, Cecily and I love to travel. And so we, um, we fell in love backpacking all over the world. And so travel has been a big part of our relationship. And uh, we, we were doing a, an international trip on around the world trip. And we stopped in Paris and uh, visited the catacombs of Paris. It's my first time ever visiting the catacombs. And I think you had been there before maybe, um, my first time and together just walking through the catacombs, which is this um, uh, system of tunnels underneath the city of Paris. I use the word uh, all the time, yeah. like in the catacombs of my email or whatever at work, but I don't <laughs> yeah. actually think I know what a catacomb is. There is such a thing as a catacomb. <laughs> it is an actual location. It's a thing and it's, it's really incredible. Uh, um, just the system of tunnels underneath the city of Paris that has been filled with the skeletal remains of Parisians who have died over uh, several hundred years. Really? And, mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was, uh, was it the 17th century or 18th century when they, um, they, they decided to um, stack the, the, the remains in a way to create almost a, a living memorial in a sense, or a, 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 a dying memorial. Yeah. Um, and, and so when you walk through the catacombs of Paris um, and you're walking among the remains of millions of, uh, of, uh, of dead. It's an estimated 6 million. Um, Six million people, yeah. people yeah. down there? Skulls, yeah. long bones. And what they did, because what they had, to, Paris was growing and it was outgrowing its borders. And up until that point, the cemeteries had been located on the outskirts of town. Uh -huh. um, but in as the city grew, it was growing toward the cemeteries and they had to reclaim that real estate. And so they dug up 
Under cover of darkness, actually. Oh, so really? there, I think there's some funny business that occurred. They were <laughs> yeah. like shoving pe- bodies into wagons. But they dug up all the cemeteries and carted the remains of six million people into the catacombs and then stacked them like quite beautifully. Stacked the bones, the skulls, created passageways, and even like you could say artwork out of out of the bones and wow. skeletons and skulls of humans. And I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that, but it's really, no. it's profound to, to walk through um, and among um, the bones of real people that have lived and died and that are not unlike us. And it's really one of those, um, one of those uh, memento mori type experiences wow. that has really been um, a high impact for us. And so we like to share that with other people. Sounds like um, it. It sounds amazing. I didn't know that this exists. What were the catacombs there for before they used it for bone storage. Yeah, so it was a system of tunnels that were uh, constructed during some limestone mining operations um, hundreds of years before they were used uh, for for this catacomb um, uh, storage, basically. Um, and so they had existed in uh, under the city of Paris and basically weren't used at all. And okay. so that's where they realized, hey, we've got this, this space and we have this uh, overflowing cemetery issue. So it's kind of a functional transition for, for the city. So, it's amazing. So that 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 experience walking among the skeletal remains, I think, was a transformative moment for us, and just made us really reflect on the reality that we all will be a pile of bones at one point, and and that experience has inspired us to pursue uh, living well and living with that end in mind and uh, helping and leading others to do the same. So the name Skull and Bone Society is our desire to cultivate uh, a movement of people who are um, living intentionally, living with the end in mind. And so that manifests itself in a lot of different ways. We do you know, coaching, we do financial coaching, all the things you mentioned yeah. in the intro, um, but it's really all through that lens of recognizing um, that you are going to meet your end on earth at some point and when you get there, can you look back at your life and say that you lived in a way that mattered? Mm. And so that's all of our coaching, all of our work is, has that as its ethos. That's amazing. That's, and that's what a cool business model. I'm, I'm interested in how you apply that business model to the uncertainty of mortality, right? Like mm. you can have these goals and these things that you want to reach for, for meaning, but we don't know when the, we don't know when that end is or when you turn into the, to bile uh, into that pile of yep. bones. So yep. what is, what does skull and bone society do? Do you, like traject out goals or do you yeah. do life goals that take a long time? Yeah. What's yeah. the, what's the uh, thought process? Yeah. Um, I, maybe I'll cite one of my favorite theologians, actually Ron Highfield. Uh, he's a professor at Pepperdine and he has a book that, um, that he wrote and there's a line in there that I think captures this. And um, uh, he, he says um, uh, no one lives um, worldly because they've thought about it and decided that it's the best way to live. Um, they live worldly uh, because they haven't stopped to ask the question, what is the best way to live? And he, he gives the caveat that, that worldly there, he means temporally, like living for the moment. So yeah. without consideration for the future. So no one lives for the moment without considering the future because they think, oh, just living in the second is like all that matters. Um, but but there's a, a lack of, of pursuit of what matters. And and so I I would say our work is designed to help people clarify what matters and then orient your life in that direction so that 
at any point, if your life seeks, ceases to exist, you are on the trajectory of, of what matters most. And so it's not a someday I'll achieve it. It's an every day, the, the living towards what matters is what matters, right? Like it, it is living with the end in mind. So it is a journey. So at any point, it doesn't matter when you die. You, if you're on the path, you're in the right spot, if that makes sense. Yes. Something that we've found um, through guiding people in goal setting or in financial coaching or working with couples or organizations mm-hmm. is that when you when you live with the end in mind, it's not always necessarily your literal death, though that is worth acknowledging, but also the end of a project or an end of the year or an end of this particular chapter in life and you know, consider what the light at the end of the tunnel is. And that when you live with the end in mind, the path from here to there falls into place. And so it, you're guided by your values. You're guided by the smaller goals, certainly, that you set along the way that guide you in that direction. But that principle of living with the end in mind um, really just causes the next step, however immediate it might be, to become plain and to mm-hmm. fall into place. You know, that's such a that's such a great way to look at it too, because then you have all these like micro goals and endings that you're getting to. And then when yes. you get to those ends, you get to reflect back and say, yes, that that month was meaningful. I wanted to do this in that month. I wanted to save a hundred dollars in that month and I did it or I yep. did more or yep. something yes. like that. So you start chasing that value yep. and whether that continues on for 50 years that's or right. 50 minutes, you know, it's worth it. So it's truly a journey is the destination philosophy. Yeah. I think you can apply that philosophy too, to so many things that you do in life. Like you have kids, you, we were talking about Mm -hmm. that before um, we started the episode that, you know, you, at some point, I'm sure since you brought those kids home, you know, from, from being born, wherever they were born, you thought about, um, the day they would leave home and you thought about the day they might go away to college or move out or start a household of their own. I hope so. That's I, living I with the I end. thought about it. Yeah. Oh, man, I got a 30-year-old. He's still at home. I'm hoping that's, that's one, right. of the, one of the journeys I get to end. That's right. That's living with the end yeah. in mind. Absolutely. That that each chapter and every role that we play ultimately does have an end. And even if it's not yet, and even if it's not tomorrow or not for several years from now, um, there is still an end to be considered. And if you want to end it well, then you can live the moments between now and then well too. Hell yeah. And I think it's refreshing to think that too and base it. I like that you base it on mortality, right? Because I know speaking for my own self, it's like when you think of death, it's usually something that pops into your head and you're like, oh my God, this is terrible. I don't want to think about it. Yeah. You don't feel good about it. And then you're not doing anything positive with that. Right. And it probably is like a little bit like self-freeing in a way when you stop worrying about mortality and just truly live in the moment. Yeah. So. yeah it's, uh, um, it's something that I've had some intimate experience with, uh, throughout my, my recent years. Um, we, we launched the skull and bone society officially, uh, almost two years ago now, um, in the aftermath of the death of my father. Um, my dad was 68 years old. Um, he had heart failure. Uh, he, um, uh, my mom actually revived him with CPR at oh, wow. home, which is a, uh, a marketing advertisement for everyone um, learning CPR. Uh, it kept him alive long enough for Cecily and I to fly back to Indiana, where I'm from. Um, and while he was on life support, uh, sit by his bedside, um, uh, spent five days um, at his bedside wondering, you know, when he would die. He he came out of that um, that coma, basically, and we actually had 
several days to interact with him. Um, oh, that's incredible. And then, which was such a gift. Um, and then he ultimately uh, died, his brain hemorrhaged due to some of the medicine that he was on to prevent further strokes. And uh, we just had this realization after that happened that my dad was 68 years old. I'm 37. Um, when my dad was 34, he had no idea that that was the midpoint of his life, mm. that he, that his life was half over. Yeah. And no 34 year old thinks that. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, or you if know, you do, you just tell yourself, no, that can't be true. Right. Right. I got at least 85 in me. Right. You know? right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so we left that experience, um, just recognizing that we should always live, uh, in a way that, that is doing the things we desire to do, being the people we want to do, mm. um, leading and inspiring others to do that as well. And so, um, that I would say maybe is the gift of my father's death is the, the experience with mortality and the reminder of the brevity of life and therefore, uh, live it meaningfully. I think it's worth noting too that living with an awareness of mortality is nothing new. I mean, this is something that humans have been doing, philosophers have been doing for centuries. Um, it's kind of our curse, right? Yes. At least we think it is. I yes. mean, I don't know if the tiger knows it's going to die one day, but <laughs> it may. Certainly not. Uh, you may have heard the Latin phrase "memento mori." Um, it means it means remember thou art mortal, and so it's basically just like a phrase that defines a practice of remembering your mortality and and more more modernly, uh, you hear the phrase YOLO, you only live yeah. once. <laughs> That's but, right. but people have been acknowledging um, the the presence of death and the passage of time for for centuries. Yeah. I mean, even the, um, I find this quite interesting that the, the practice of putting a clock in the in the city square back in in the medieval times. Um, it was not just to help people get to their meetings on time. It was to remind people of of the passage of time, and that's why you saw frequently in like in these old clocks or in cathedrals there would be like the Grim Reaper chiming the hour, ah. or even the practice of wearing a wristwatch. All of these right. things are are designed as memento mori practices, so reminders of mortality and this paradoxical thing happens when you remember your mortality you remember your your death that it um that it it changes the way you live and it changes the way you face life I feel like I feel like you guys are spot on. You're really hitting home for me because, like, I'm definitely like I kind of touched on before. One of those people that would, would think about the moment and be like, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm 30, I'm 36. I work out. There's no way nothing's gonna happen to me." And then I read uh, like a sports story of some linebacker who is 25 years old, like someone recently just passed away, who was like an ex NFL linebacker, out of nowhere, you know. And it's yeah. just like, and it just it just happens like that. So yeah. it's it's like. When I think of mortality, instead of thinking about that end and knowing that I'm going to be happy whenever it comes, it's like, I'm just like, nope, I'm good. Yeah. You know, life right. expectancy is 82 in this country or whatever. What's funny about it is I, I can predict almost nothing, right? Like, I, mm. and whether people can't predict the weather, you know, like, yeah. you know, uh, odds, predictors of, of sporting events, like no one gets that stuff. I would right. like to think I'm but, a master yeah. at it, but I definitely You do not. think you're a master at it. <laughs> I, I definitely <laughs> Right. Yeah. Right. Like we screw that stuff up all the time, but I can guarantee you will die. Mm -hmm. yeah. I can guarantee you will die and I can guarantee that I will die mm -hmm. and I can guarantee that my wife will as well. Mm -hmm. And so it is 
maybe the only guarantee in life. It really is. You know, they hear yeah. the old saying like death and taxes, death and taxes. but there's tons right. of people that don't pay taxes. Look at Crocodile right. Dundee. Right. Yeah. Crocodile <laughs> Dundee didn't pay a dime of those taxes. Right. So. Or some of our relatives yeah. who, like, who right. live in the woods. We so won. the death part is definitely, definitely for certain. Um, so before you guys founded Skull and Bone Society, did you think that you were already pretty good goal setting and living meaningful lives kind of people? Or did that change when you started the company? No, that's a good question. That is definitely something that has been a part of our relationship and a part of our whole adult life. Um, probably post-college, we got married right after college and uh, fairly fairly soon into our relationship, we got really um, we got really acquainted with the practice of goal setting um, through the, the amazing journey of getting our finances in order. And so yeah. <laughs> winding up in a ton of student loan debt post-college and then- My student loan debt, <laughs> mine hers. Our, our mine. student loan debt that, that, that we then had um, the, the character building experience of getting to pay back um, and work hard and really um, set that goal to become debt free and then walk backward from that ultimate, um, that finish line. Okay, like how much, this exact loan, we're going to pay that off and how long is it going to take and how many months and how many payments and what are we going to do to to increase the amount of money that we'll have in order to pay that off. And so goal setting has definitely been a big part of our adult life together, not just in finances, but also when it comes to fitness. We, we also set a goal to have a date night every week. And so we, we use goal setting to, to impact many areas of I our life. I need the date night goal in my life. Do it. Yeah. It's worth it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we need it. I mean, it's like, we've been talking forever. Like, all right, we got to find like a baby because kids are still kind of young. They're three and five. Yeah. So it's like, we got to find a babysitter or somebody that, you know, we feel comfortable with and we just never do it. Find a couple that you feel comfy with trading. And uh, you, you know, you take the kids uh, to that couple's yeah. house on like Monday night and you and your wife kids have a swap date night. Kind of yeah, thing. And yeah. Swap. Yeah. Totally. And then it's free. You don't have to deal with babysitting mm. expense. Yeah. It's always nervous though, right? You got to trust that couple because if you're the ones that do the kids swap first and then right. they keep flaking on you right. after that, I'd be <laughs> no. so pissed. That's right. Yeah. That's right. A trustworthy couple. That's a good plan. Yeah. I'm going to well, look the, into the, that. The date night thing has been huge for us though. I, you know, we can, we can see a measurable difference in our relationship and in, in our quality of life when, when we've fallen away from that practice. So mm-hmm. it's definitely, you know, out of the, the few things that we would say, like, I think everyone should do this. I think a date night is one of those. Yeah, I agree. I agree right now. I'm thinking like, man, I fell out of that practice and I'm have like date nights running through my head right now. So while we're on the topic of date nights, Dusty, what's your favorite date night location to take Cecily? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, um, we, we, we very much differ in how our ideal yes. date nights go. Yep. Um, my ideal date nights usually involve her not wearing very many clothes. <laughs> yes, hell yeah. That's, a, that's, that's the date night that I've had in my mind of my wife right now. Yeah. A bottle of wine, a pizza, and, and, the door. and a movie. Yes. That's not going anywhere. That's, that's all I need. Sounds like a solid date guy, night. Right? That's right. Simple. Uh, Keep it simple. Now, right? my idea of a great di- date night is going to be more out on the town, okay. right? We leave the house. Maybe it involves another couple, a double date, or or a group gathering, or something like that. I'm a big fan of breweries. We recently moved to the area, so okay. so we're having a good time exploring Ventura's many Tons awesome of breweries. breweries. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Oh, so you guys live in Ventura? We do. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah we're just awesome. up off Mills yep. Road, and so Rincon Brewery is just like a hop, skip, and a jump from us. We That's call our it local our pub. pub. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. We can walk to it. Well, welcome to the neighborhood. Thank That's you. awesome. I didn't know you guys recently moved in. Oh, um, we love it here. So so um, what's your favorite? favorite brewery then Rincon is your spot then yeah Rincon yeah. will be yeah definitely our spot but we also love Made West and then Bright Spark Bright Spot what's it 
Oh, I don't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, that. Bright Spark. I don't know that one either. Uh, uh-uh. there's Casa de Agria, which is out in Oxnard. It's okay. a little bit of a drive, yep. but it's really good, especially if you like sour beers. They're like okay. sour beers are like tip top. Nice. Um, Topa Topa is definitely a great one, especially mm-hmm. the spot up in Ojai. We live in like Oakview, my wife and I, so okay. we're more up that way. So it's a really cool setting. You're like in like kind of like the the mountain valleys and stuff like that. That's awesome. Cool. Cool. Yeah, breweries are on point here in uh, in Ventura. It's pretty yeah. impressive. We spent the last decade living in Malibu mm-hmm. and. Up until, I guess, maybe six months ago, there was not a brewery in Malibu. Really? Which is wild, right? Um, and, and so we always felt like that was such a miss for such a great community that there wasn't totally. a local yeah. brewery. And so when we moved up to Ventura, and you're literally they're, they're surrounded like, by them. Yeah. Breweries yeah. in Ventura are like churches in Alabama. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like every corner is hey, a yep. brewery. That's my kind of church, unfortunately. <laughs> hey, I, mean, I, do, yes. I, do, I do like it. Uh, it's, and, and, and thinking of breweries and how they popped up, you know, it makes me think of like financial success. Like these guys took a love for beer and turned it into money. You guys have a knack for being able to get financial success out of people. You said mm. like when you guys first were married, that's what kind of got goal oriented first was the finances. So tell me a little bit about how Skull and Bone Society could help somebody out there listening that needs help with their finances. Yeah, mm. well, I would maybe start by a little bit of our journey. Uh, when we were dating, we and realized that we were going to be engaged, we started doing some premarital counseling, which was an incredible experience for us. We still to this day meet with that same therapist. He's oh, wow. a regular shout out to counselor. Robert. Yeah, shout been, out Robert. He's been great. He's been solid, through solid the, psych. All right. You guys, you guys did it right. right? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, so we did a, a compatibility test with Robert as a, a part of our premarital counseling. And um, when we, you know, it's one of those things where you do on your own and then you, he gets the results and then you sit down with him and he goes through the results. And so he sits down with us and he says, all right, so there's one area where I'm seeing you all are not compatible at all. And this is really important because this area is statistically the number one reason for divorce in America. And so this is a big deal. And so we're like, oh my gosh, oh, like, shit, what, what is what, this? What's, right? what's going on? <laughs> and he said, you two have uh, a, a totally different approach to money and your, your approach on finances, what you think about money is, is, you're coming from totally different backgrounds. And so that we were like, oh wow, we, we hadn't really had those conversations yet. And so that entered us into this journey of, uh, I would say becoming lifelong learners uh, and and kind of uh, um, uh, pursuing a, the deepest understanding of how to be wise with your finances, that's that's possible. And so we've been committed to that for for the last decade. And, and that, and that process has brought us so much, uh, I would say, connection mm-hmm. and partnership in our life as we've worked together on our own financial journey. Um, and, and going from where we started, uh, I, I grew up in a government-subsidized housing community in rural Indiana, um, a low-income uh, family below the poverty line as I was growing up. And so coming from that background and then realizing that I, I really didn't know much about how to manage money well, and then the journey we've been on to be where we're at today um, has led us to just have a, a passion for helping others on their own journey. And so that's been a big part of our coaching and a big part of the Skull and Bone Society's work. That's cool. And I, I like that you came from that background and the kind of the note that you hit there that hit my ears um, was that you come from a low income area, right? Everybody thinks, oh, people without money must be on a very tight budget and strict and things like that. 
And I think one of the main problems is they don't actually teach low-income people how right. to work with that low income. Right. And then that's why you end up really falling below the poverty line. So it's yeah. cool that you came from that setting and now you've turned it into a positive attribute in your yeah. life. Something we've learned about finances too, personal finances, is that um, by and large, people people learn their financial habits from their parents. And so bad financial <laughs> habits get passed down through the generations and good <laughs> financial habits get passed down through the generations. And so it's not necessarily something that um, that you study in school. Most schools don't have like mm-hmm. a personal finance 101. And if they do, the students aren't paying attention. And so so <laughs> learning those finance skills is the sort of thing that like not only are you changing your life in your immediate future, but you're changing your children's life and the, right. the life of the next generations that follow. It really is profound. It is. It's And it's very profound, just like how many things can get passed down, right? Everybody yes. thinks, all right, okay, you know, hair color, eye color, you know, height, weight, whatever gets passed down. But there's so many little things like yeah. now that I have kids, I notice so many more things that I do that my mom did. And yes, now that my sure. kids are doing like even like little like sounds or like ticks, I guess that we all have somehow. Yeah, totally. It's, yeah. it's, it's crazy. So it's, 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 good to expand your mind and think about actual like budgeting habits, right. eating habits, fitness habits. So yeah. well, and that's part of where we start with clients is we, we challenge them to, to look back at their family of origin and reflect on their family experience. What did they learn from their parents? Uh, what do they want to retain? You know, there are, all of us have things that our parents taught us mm-hmm. that are really incredible and, and great life lessons. Yep. And then there might be some things that, that weren't great life lessons, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a, a first step to deeper awareness that we go through with coaching clients is, is what did you learn and what are the gaps to your education? Um, you, at some point you become responsible for filling those gaps. Mm-hmm. Now maybe your parents could have or should have done a better job, but you can't you can't be seventy saying like, yeah. oh my dad didn't teach he me really about retirement. Me over. He me no, over. Freaking it's like, still working. It's like yeah, you're not you a child anymore. Should have right? figured that one out, buddy. <laughs> right. You know we're all the, get the same deck of cards. You know sometimes you get the aces right away. Sometimes you gotta <laughs> wait till the end. That's but, right. Yeah. We've so, learned sure. too that I I think a lot of times people think like that discipline is one of those things that's you, you either have it or you don't. Um, but discipline is a learned skill and it's one of those things that if you, if you start to explore what discipline looks like in one area of your life, like finances or like your, like physical practices, I mean, finances are not the only entree into, into the disciplined life, but discipline begets discipline. There's this beautiful momentum that happens. Like when people start to clean up their personal finances, they also maybe start to clean up their houses. And then they also might maybe start to clean up their diet. And they also maybe start to clean up their time management or their physical health. And it's one of those things that rolls over to many other areas of life. And it's like, it's like when things start to come together, they, your life gets better a little bit at a time. And then all of a sudden there's this exponential growth that occurs in people's lives um, as a result of, of employing some discipline in that one area. It's like the snowball effect, yes. right? It yeah. starts off small, but as it gets big, it gets bigger faster because yes. you have more surface area just absorbing all these good discipline Momentum habits. Is powerful. Yeah, it really is. Do you find that do you find that maybe finances is the easiest 
spot to start for discipline? Mm, good question. Either finances or physical, like like health and wellness, like because those are both fitness. such externals. Also, finances impact every area of your life. It's like it, it impacts what you can do in terms of your recreation, where you can live, what you can do on the weekends. What you uh, eat. Yeah, yeah what so. you eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what kind of car you drive, the clothes you wear. Finances impact everything. And so it can be such a pain point in people's lives. And we mm-hmm. find that finances can either be like one of the hardest things about your household or it can be one of the greatest things. Part of our practice is um, a lot of personal coaching, um, life coaching, professional coaching, executive functioning uh, coaching. And uh, I would say that, you know, maybe fewer than 20% of our clients come to us with the stated goal of getting their finances dialed in, but 100% of them end up um needing that and yes. desiring it as we go through our, our coaching process. We get to the point where they realize, oh gosh, I, I need to figure this out. Um, and, and for some people, it's recognizing that uh, they need to come up with new, new ways to build their income. They have an income problem. Uh, for other people, it's a spending problem, right? You, know, yeah. you can be a high earner, but if you're spending more than you earn, you, really you, matter. you're broke, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, whether or not a client comes to us with that as a stated goal, we end up spending a lot of time I'm working um, because it is so, uh, it it does impact so many different areas of life. Do you think it's more challenging for the high earners, high spenders, or the low income and need more income in their life to start reaching those goals? Do you seem, do you see? Good question. Do you see more successful in one group than the other? I can't say that I would pick um, one category over the other. I mean, they both have their unique challenges, but um, if once they once they get that like light in their eyes and they get that stoke to pursue, you know, whatever it is that they want to clean up, whether it's like reining in their expenses or getting a side hustle or selling an extra vehicle, it just like they start to see that light, and then they and then it's there's no stopping them. Yeah. And I think uh, to your point about the challenge being different, what we've seen with with people who uh, have an income problem, hope is often uh, the biggest challenge. Yeah. There's a lack of hope that, that, that their situation could be any different. Um, if you have, if you're experiencing pretty significant debt or, um, you know, being crushed by, by expenses and your income is small and it's really hard sometimes to believe that it's possible to get that dialed in to find financial freedom. So that is challenging on that end. And what we've learned from working with high income earners is drawing back is a hard discipline to take on, right? So if you're someone who uh, you you go out to eat every night, you, you lease whatever car you want to lease. And then all of a sudden, when you realize that your finances are pretty chaotic and, and I'm making a recommendation like, Hey, maybe you need to sell your truck and buy, you know, a beater. Yeah. That's a big shift for someone who's driving a $70,000 Raptor, uh, that they have leased out to go that, to a Oh one accord that's, that's right. paid off and stack some cash. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Serious. And we have experience with this. When we got on our debt repayment process, I had, I was driving a Jeep that I bought using student loan money. So when I was at college, I, I got nice. some extra student loans and they said, you know, this is for your books and for your, your rent and for and your for food your Jeep. and for my Jeep. So I went out and I bought a Jeep Wrangler, right? This guy. (laughs) So that's what I would have done. So I get it. (laughs) So we, we realized, all right, 
got it. The Jeep's got to go. We're in debt. This is not good. Um, so we sold the Jeep and we paid off one of my credit cards that I had. Um, and we had enough money to buy, I think it was a 2001 Saturn, this okay. white egg. Saturn, old school, baby. Oh my you don't really see too many on the road anymore. It was terrible. Yeah, the company went yeah. out of business. Oh my gosh. And of course, like the brakes squealed. And so it's uh, my ego was already struggling um, in it this changed. vehicle. And then of course, when I would stop, it would make so much noise that everyone would look and I was you. like, oh, this is, this is brutal. It's made. character and building. That's the hard part I think <laughs> yeah. for, for high income earners yeah. is recognizing that you might need to take on a, a period of discipline, uh, a period of, of being more in control of your finances so that you can achieve your goals later. But it's hard to dial back once you've expanded. It's really difficult. Yeah. And it's mm. funny like hearing hearing you explain the differences between both I feel like I've kind of had both through my journey here and especially in Ventura County um, when I was in the military in San Diego you know we were flat broke they don't pay you for shit so mm -hmm. it's like and then San Diego is like one of the most expensive tough places to live and you sure as hell don't want to live on base so it's like right. you go out and get whatever you can and then like that's all the money you have right but then there it was like so daunting it's like well shit I'm in the military so it's not like I could really go get another job or just right. get a better job <laughs> right. like I, I signed up for this one I'm, yep. I'm stuck right. you know but then after getting out of it we eventually came up here to Ventura County um same thing, you know, I got I got what I thought was a good job and then I got here and saw had like what the prices of everything were. It's like, well, I guess this 350 square foot house is like, this is it. This is That's the right. creme de la creme, you know, this is yep. as good as it's going to get. And it does feel like a little hopeless. And now I've, you know, worked worked my way up to where I'm a pretty decent earner, luckily, yeah. uh, thankfully. Um, and yeah, it's tough to not want to go spend that money, you right. know, and then right. you need to practice discipline yeah. and yeah. It, it is a total roller coaster ride. One of my favorite theologians is a guy named... Um, uh, Richard Foster, and he wrote a book called Celebration of Discipline. And uh, one of the lines from that book is, uh, every discipline has its corresponding freedom. And I think that is so true in this regard, that that if you are disciplined with a little, there there is a, a freedom that comes with that, mm -hmm. and especially when you think about over the course of life, right? I mean, if you just look at a simple Roth IRA calculator and, and envision, if you were maxing out your Roth IRA at 18 years old, um, the, the, the wealth and retirement that that builds is insane. The problem is most of us aren't thinking about anything other than girls and, you know, Jeeps and, Jeeps yeah. and you know, food when you're 18. Exactly. And so you, you often don't hit this like level of awareness until you're 35 with some kids and you're yeah. like, Oh crap. If I had started 15 years ago, I could already be a millionaire or whatever. Right? I was so, like, yeah, my Nana gave me a bunch of bonds and stuff like that until I gave them to me when I was 18. was the first thing I did. I cashed them bad boys <laughs> out. Let's go to the like, like, yeah, <laughs> who knows what they'd be worth right now if I if I kept them, you know? Were but you Marines? A, is that where, where I was? In, I was I was a Navy. Okay. So, so was, did you uh, did you do the typical like go out and lease or you know uh, buy a new Dodge Charger or something like that with your first paycheck? So when I came uh, when I came over to San Diego, I was uh, just about to turn twenty one. Um, I bought a two thousand one Honda Accord on a used car um, loan from Navy Federal Credit Union. I kept it, I paid it off, and I just recently, it still pains my heart, lost Rhonda about a year and a half ago. Oh. She finally she finally broke down on me. But uh, yeah, so That's I, incredible. So right now I own all four of my cars outright. So that's, that's one of the main things. I feel yeah. like I feel like car payments are the biggest, biggest hook and crook out there. You know, yes. it's like buy a car, 
own it and then just take care of it. Do yeah. your own maintenance so you right. know that it's good. I mean, and sometimes, yeah, you get screwed, it gets broke up, broke down or whatever. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's like, especially me right now, right now I have kids and stuff like that. I couldn't imagine having them in a yeah. new car. I just want to strangle them every single day. Like, <laughs> right. And, right. You know, so it's like eventually I'll probably go and, and venture out into the car payment world again. But luckily, yeah, I've been, I've been pretty good. And then yeah. I, I, while I had Rhonda and paid that one off, um, my wife traded in her Saturn view. That thing was a hunk of crap. I'm glad I didn't pay. I'm glad yeah. I didn't actually pay that off. We traded that in and got a 2012 Honda CRV, which we own out right now cool. too, Those which, are good. which drives great. So, you know, free Honda plug right there. Honda's they've, been, last they've, been, they've been good. They've been good to me. Maybe yeah. they'll sponsor the podcast. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so so my, the pod. my promise was never that it was like, it was like wanting to go out and do things, yeah. you know, go spend, go spend 120 bucks out on town when you really don't have 120 right. bucks to spend, you yeah. know, right. and then you compensate that with a credit card, right. you know, and right. it's like, well, I'll just use the credit card until I get paid. And then when I get paid, I'll pay off the credit card. But then you're like, oh, I spent too much on the credit card. I can't right. even pay it off. Yes. And now I've paid half of it off and now I'm broke again. No. So I'm still using the credit no. card. Oh no. That's I feel like you people... guys are talking about me. Yeah. Uh, all this financial <laughs> stuff right now. That's where people really trip up is with the credit card yeah. debt. And it's not even in like these large expenses. Like people think it's, it's, it's in the smaller day-to-day -day ones. Like an emergency is when mm -hmm. the pizza guy shows up and rings the doorbell and it's like, oh crap, I don't have cash. We'll pay with a credit there card. And then that's how mm -hmm. that habit gets built in and ingrained and I mean, that's what we see. And so, I mean, not that, not that we necessarily coach everyone to do this with their finances, but we're cash people. Like we go all cash for everything. And so we pay cash for our cars. We pay, um, we for do a budget we, every month. Rental properties that we pay cash for yeah, as we well. Yeah, we pay cash for all of our mm -hmm. rental properties. And so we definitely, we're, we've, we're, we're big on the get rich slow plan, right? Mm -hmm. Because rather than using debt to, to accumulate these assets, we save up for it and then we wait until we have enough and then um, we, we employ patience and discipline and then we pay cash for things. Yeah, no, I mean, that's great. And it's I keep hearing you guys say the same term, discipline and discipline. Mm -hmm. That's Word. what it takes, right? Because mm -hmm. like, see, I, I, I am one of those kind of suckers that that stays with the institutions in a way, I guess, where it's like, get the reward credit card. Mm. And I'm like, okay, um, I got my budget. I'm going to spend 350 bucks every paycheck on gas because that's yep. just the way it is nowadays. Right. That's what you have to spend. So I'm like, yep. I'm going to use this reward game. Yep. I'm going to get the free miles, you know? Yep. Right. And I use it and then I pay it off. And yep. luckily I have that discipline. But yep. then all of a sudden you notice like, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna keep 100 bucks on yep. there. I'm right. going to keep 250 yep. bucks on there. Then it gets to this point where it's like, damn it, I will I go too long. Now I yep. need to pay it off right yep. now. And then I have to live broke for a couple months. So. Well, and that's the gamble that they're making is you're betting that you will pay it off every week and the yeah. credit card company is betting that you won't. Yeah, it's like bring it on. Yeah. Now, nine times out of 10, the credit card company is right because how else are they making all of their money? It's mm -hmm. off of interest. Yeah. But like if you can pay it off every single week or every you know month or whatever your your rhythm is, then you're you're getting out of that trap, mm -hmm. but only narrowly every month. Yeah, <laughs> well, exactly. Like, matter of full time. disclosure, I think it was just a few years ago that we applied for our first credit card in like a decade because yeah. Southwest Airlines was doing the companion pass yes, for, hey, you for like take California locals. Yeah. I was like, all right, because it was like, only that. get the Southwest Chase card and if you spend, you know, four grand in three months, you're, yep. you get a companion pass for the next year. And I was like, ah, uh, cause we travel for a bit. And so we did it. And so we still do that. Yeah. We're not, we're not like crazy teetotalers, but it took us a decade of building discipline to feel 
comfortable to play with the fire. Yeah, put and your toe back we're in that playing, water, right? We, yeah. we know we're playing with fire yep. when you get when you get lots of credit mm-hmm. cards, right? And so we're we're very cautious and sensitive to that. And it's right. such a it's such a scheme too, yes. because it's like, oh well, you need credit cards to have good credit. So it's like if you want credit for anything else, it's like you need to have these credit cards. Yeah, right. And you're gonna, but, but we'll give you these deals, or we'll give yeah. you we'll give you. 18 months of 0% interest if you spend nine grand. It's like, well, holy shit. You know, it's like, I got to use this thing. You start using it for all kinds of crap, you know, and buying Jordans with them and stuff like that. And the next thing I know, it's like, damn, I got nine grand. I got nine grand on this thing. What the hell did I buy, you know? Well, and I don't know if either of you all have this situation with your partners and relationships, but uh, um, I'm the spender in our marriage and she's the saver. So Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, she could have a thousand credit cards and she would be fine. Like she just wouldn't use them. I'm going to use them. <laughs> I'm the one, like if I have one credit card, it's going to be maxed. Right. And so I've had to, I'm the one who's really had to take on the, the, the biggest discipline in controlling my spending habits. Uh, I've actually had to work on her to get her to be willing to spend money, right. To do fun things. <laughs> Come right? on, let's do it. Scrooge yeah, McDuck it, over here. For real. Right. Like I, I'm the one who's like, we, we can go on a trip. Like we, Why go on we, a trip when Scrooge McDuck has a pool full <laughs> of money? Money. I have a pool full of money that I'll go swimming in, Dusty. We joke about that. I'm like, what if if we weren't together, she would just stack coins. And I'm like, what would you do with your coins? Where would they go? Get yeah. more of them. <laughs> For sure. Buy money with your money. I like right. that. Are you the spender or the yeah. saver in your in your household? Uh, I would say I would say I'm probably a spender. My wife is just a spender on like the uh, critical things. Like she'll do a lot of the necessity shopping, like food shopping and things like Uh that. Um, But I'm the one that uh, we have a, we have a spreadsheet that I print out every month and I get paid bi-weekly. So I have every bill on there and then I have the pay date associated with it. So on payday, the first thing I do is I pay all the crap that we need to pay. Way to go. And then I mark, I mark that as off. And then I'm like, then I look, then I actually calibrate the checking account and say, okay, you know, Am I drinking craft beer this weekend or is it a Coors Light weekend? You know, it's like, what are we doing here? So it's like, so that's, that's kind of, that's kind of the, the MO that we have. And my wife just has trust in me that I don't F it up. A paper budget. I love that. We're paper budget people too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Excel Excel has the template for free. All you got to do is like plug in the, plug in the things and then it has January, February, March. And then say, then you just print, you know, page two of two yep. in February. Boom. Yep. I actually have my February one in the book bag right now. I got to put it on my cork <laughs> Way board. to go. <laughs> <laughs> I got a I got on we need to interview you. It took a long time and it's still not a perfected thing. And that's why yeah. it is like, it is yeah. like a journey. And yeah. like, those yeah. are like little things now here in your guys' philosophy. It's like, yeah. that's a little way for me to be like, Hey, this month was good yep. or be right. like, oh, damn it, yep. I screwed this month up. Yep. Well, so. you'll appreciate this too. One tool that we use in addition to our budget. So like we do the same thing. We use the Excel spreadsheet and sometimes oh, we have printed it out, but at this point we're just doing it all digitally and plugging the numbers in. Mm-hmm. But then once we go through each line item and, you know, we have a line item for groceries, for gas, for yep. date night, for health. That's the line item I need. I need the date night line item. You do. If you set aside money for it, then you'll make it happen for sure. But we have each of those line items and then we go to the bank and we withdraw cash and we stuff envelopes. And so we have an envelope system that's like bound up in this little binder and we have our gas money for the month and our grocery money for the month and our date money for the month and our personal spending allowance and all the things that are cash expenses over the course of the month. And we stuff the envelopes at the beginning of the month and then you don't have to like, you don't have to do any mental math to figure out how much you have left to spend in that category you just look and if there are bills in the envelope you have it to spend and so you can kind of see how you're doing
doing over the course of the month. And we've like gotten that. pretty good at it. We've been doing it for 12 years. I like yeah. that. That's a good yeah. concept. That's yeah. a good concept. Um, but you guys have other concepts too, right? We've, we're really drilling down on, on financial coaching and I love all your guys' ideas, but you also offer like a whole bunch of other different multiple workshops, team challenges, mm-hmm. values, visions, goals, prep for couples, a disc assessment. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me more about that. Let's start with the team challenge. Uh, Persistence Culture was a part of one of them, right? What is yeah. the team challenge all about? Well, this is uh, something that that we absolutely love to do, um, which is craft transformational experiences for groups, for companies, uh, for for teams. Um, we believe that gathering together with the people you work with, or or even your family, right? It can be anything. Oh, I didn't think of that family yeah, on the team challenge. Go. That'd be interesting. Yeah, th- but there's just something powerful about uh, coming together uh, and and being challenged. So all the events that we put together provide some sort of physical challenge. Um, and 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 then collaborating and working together towards towards a goal. Uh, there's something about that shared experience that creates a deep connection and helps you uh, know your coworker in, in a different capacity, or know your partner or your teammate in a different capacity. So that's something that we've done for for the last decade is build uh, experiences. We've uh, we've had the opportunity to lead groups on uh, treks across Iceland. We've done a couple Icelandic backpacking treks across trip. Iceland. Yeah, yeah. Wow. We've backpacking done that. is a great we, team challenge. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Um, we took a group of students to on a trek through Alaska. Um, we, we've done a lot of different adventures. When you went to Iceland, were you guys already Iceland experts? Like you had been there before, or we'd, you guys were all we'd been before. It's oh, a okay. favorite. Yeah, it's a favorite vacation spot I don't know for I'd us say for expert, sure. Expert, but oh, wow. uh, okay. but fans. We were <laughs> okay. big fans. Okay. So. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So that's been something that we we really love to do is work with teams and and groups to 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 cultivate. Um, uh, that that connection camaraderie. Uh, we often work with the the boss or whoever it is that is bringing us in to talk mm-hmm. with them first about what's going on with their team and how can we partner with you. Uh, what uh, what what conversations uh, do you want to have with your team or what conversations do you want us to have with your team that you can't have for whatever reason. Okay. And so we collaborate with them. We set a vision for the experience. We create the parameters. We check to make sure you know your team's going to be comfortable meaning they're going to be willing they'll, they'll definitely be uncomfortable when yeah. we when we do the challenge but you're not going to take someone who's never been on a hike across the trek of right that's right yeah. we yeah, yeah. make sure everyone's safe yeah, yeah, and yeah. of course everyone signs the waiver and oh, all man that. that's what you scared know. me the, the waiver, bro. waiver. yeah so mambo you were a part of that one you said before the show started that uh you barely made it out alive what, what yeah why don't you tell us what the waiver says <laughs> and that's what well yeah. we've never lost anyone yet but <laughs> okay. I, th- I think okay. it's one of those death and dismemberment sort of waivers dismemberment all those things you know from so. the skull and bone society <laughs> you're like holy emotional shit trauma. what's going on here so the first thing that caught my eye was the logo and then the waiver and i was like oh man <laughs> what the hell am i doing but after uh, crossbones the the thing that kind of scared me too was like you know everyone all the leaders all the persistence culture leaders are are fit yeah i'm probably the only the only one that's not so that was like going into it was was the scary part for yeah. me but once survived. once we were there, it, it, I I loved it. You yeah. crushed yeah. it. You, you crushed it. Yeah, it was it was uh it was it was good to see how every leader you know kind of was the leader in different uh, situations that we did. Oh, that's got to be really cool, you know. And and I think that's that's awesome how you're already part of a team and like Mambo, you're part of that team, but you never got to see these other individuals lead in mm. their aspects and yeah. their parts. So that's got to yeah. be a really good way yeah. for some yeah. team building, you know, yeah, for yes. sure. Much better than like happy hour or something like that. Yeah. And something that we've seen is that when you do some sort of group activity or a bonding experience or something challenging is that, uh, 
it it brings out challenge and the best of everyone. And so, for example, when we do a, a fitness kind of focused event, um, naturally you have uh, the men and women who are more fit, who are really great at kind of the fitness side of things. Mm-hmm. Well, for them, the challenge may not be physical, right? When 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 we put build an event, um, they, they may not be physically challenged, but they might be challenged by a team member who's less physically prepared or less physically fit. And so they have to manage their frustrations or, or inner voice. That's, that's negative about the person who's not as fit. And so that's their challenge, right? So whatever, whatever your uh, area for growth is usually comes out through adversity. And so that's something we, we try to uh, bring to the experience. I I noticed uh, when, when we did the challenge, uh, all the fit people, when it came to a physical activity, yeah. They were the first ones to jump on it. Mm-hmm. But when it was talking, it was like myself or, or Anissa jumping Other in. Other people mm-hmm. jumping in. The, jump, jump the conversation starter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's how you build that's how you build a perfect team too. That's and right. you really start to realize everybody else's value right. across yes. across the board. That's right. So that's yeah. cool. That that must be a lot of fun for you guys to plan all these different ones. So how many team challenges do you think you've done over over the years? Mm. A dozen. Yeah. 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 M- probably more, yeah. including all the different treks and group totally. groups that we've what led. Was the, yeah. What was the hardest team challenge for you two to facilitate? Oh, if it's different, that's fine. If it's the same, even better. Probably, probably one of the backpacking trips for sure, just because there's a lot of moving parts to planning uh, a multi-day trip, especially, uh-huh. you know, it includes going to, you know, in some cases to another country. We also did one in Alaska. Um, but getting everyone um, to a state of mental and physical readiness while also, you know, maintaining, um, you know, some mystery about it too. Um, yeah. it, that was, that, that was fun. The logistics are I fun. I think logistically, um, those are, those are challenging. I would say we did one maybe a year ago with a, a Malibu based company and, um, I was challenged by the communications that I had with my point person who was describing um, a concern about the experience that we were building and the, the physical abilities of their team. And so thinking, how do I build something that is physically challenging? And I would say that is kind of the heart of what we do, what we bring to team events is that there's going to be physical adversity. Um, but scaling that appropriately to a group or a team or an organization where you have a broad age group. Um, I think we had a woman in her mid to late sixties. Um, and we had, you know, uh, you know, very fit 25 year olds, right? So how do you create an experience that is safe and offers the the sense of teamwork so that no one feels left behind, right? Mm-hmm. When you're doing something physical, right? So I, I think that that was the biggest challenge for me because of the demographics of the people who were attending and also the concern that I was getting from the client of like, we're doing this. Our boss has hired you, but I just want you to know this is, <laughs> it's, I, we're not sure how this, this is going to go. Yeah. Right. So just thinking through that and being aware that we, we want people to have a challenging experience, but not a breaking experience. If right. that makes sense. Yeah. Right. Put, push people, but not push people to the limits of like where that's literally going to have right. bodily or mental harm to yeah. someone. But it's in the, lasting. it's in the waiver though. But it's in the waiver. It's in the waiver. Cause you can't, just you, in you case. can't know, you can't know everybody. Well, you can't know question for you mama did you have an option to attend or did your did your employer and the team say like we're doing this uh i I, well i think the option is there for everyone but i think uh you know we all want to be a part of this and we all want to grow this into something great and uh yeah it it was an option but i i 
I went into it, like I said earlier, like I'm, I know I'm not the physical one out of all the group, but it was cool to see like the first challenge was, uh, I believe it was like the square and we had to go through it. Uh, you know, the, the, the fit people, they, they came up with a plan right away. I wouldn't have known where to start or go. Right. So it was cool to see who, who took leadership and in the different challenges yep. that we did. For sure. Yeah. Yep. But I, I asked that because I know sometimes when, when a client hires us, uh, they're assigning this to their team, right? It's like you're on the team, so you're coming to the event. <laughs> and that's very different than a triathlon, right? Yeah. If you sign up for a triathlon, everyone who's doing the triathlon knows what they're there for. Mm-hmm. They chose to be there. They're excited about it. Um, and when a company hires us, we have to be aware that sometimes the employees or the team members who are coming, they're kind of there because they have to be yeah. to keep their job. Yeah. And so we, we want to make sure that the, the event is uh, appropriately scaled for everyone, um, but also accomplishes the goals of the employer and, and what our passion is. Well, that's cool. It keeps everybody engaged, you yeah. know, and, and uh, speaking right. of engaged, tell me a little bit about um, what you guys do for prep for couples. Is yeah. it, does it, yeah. is, does it have to be uh, like a wedding prep or is it maybe you've already been married for 20 years? What's, what's it all about? Both. And yeah, I mean, the Dusty is a, a is a how, how many how long were you a minister 15 years uh, a decade yeah, yeah okay uh, so decade so he's a retired minister okay um so he has performed and officiated a number of weddings and cool. so from from those relationships um and you know from from the years as a minister he gets asked to officiate weddings fairly regularly and so something that um rather than just showing up and officiating someone's wedding being like bye have a nice life yeah. he likes to he likes to meet with couples and walk alongside of them and have a few sessions with them before the wedding and in some cases even afterward because Dusty and I are big fans and sometimes we both meet with the couples and sometimes it's just him but we're we're big fans of therapy and coaching and counseling and and like working with a professional who can help um, you kind of like poke at the areas that of, of your life that aren't necessarily um, totally up to, uh, you know, the ideal and, and yeah. relationships are so important, especially a uh, primary relationship with a mm-hmm. spouse or a partner. It's like so important that you get that right because so many other things are going to be built on top of that. Um, and so, uh, you know, Dusty told the story about us seeing our, our counselor even before we got married and the fact that we still go to see him. Um, it's, uh, it, we, we're big fans of, of couples therapy. I always say, I don't worry about couples that are in therapy. I worry about couples that aren't because, (laughs) because I think every couple should be in therapy and that, and that not that, not that it needs to happen every week or even every month, but, um, but having that time and that space to dialogue with someone, um, is, uh, is absolutely essential. So that's something that we like to provide for couples. And I think people are starting to break that stigma too of, of therapy means something right. wrong with you. Yep. you know, right. Me personally, I've never, I've never gone to therapy. Yeah. Um, you should I don't, go. I don't really have, <laughs> I, I got that feeling from you. I got that feeling from you that you think I need therapy. Um, but <laughs> it's pretty clear from our side. People yeah. that don't go need yeah. it, bro. But, um, yeah. So I, I think, I think the world is starting to tilt that way. I yep. think, I think the majority still, unfortunately, are probably yep. on the other side where it's like, now I don't need therapy. Yeah. Yep. What do I need therapy for? But mental health's a real thing. For and sure. we're seeing it more and more in society now where, it, yes. it fails people. Well, and something that we are passionate about is that I think part of the reason that that there has been a stigma surrounding therapy and couples therapy is that, to be honest, like most uh, couples retreats or events are pretty lame, right? Like a lot of couples counseling sessions are in a boring conference room and, uh, and they're, they're just not 
adventurous and they're not um, enjoyable experiences for both parties. And so something that we've tried to do over the years is allow our clients to direct the experience. And so uh, we did a premarital uh, event counseling session with a couple on Catalina Island. So we did like a three-day backpacking trip where uh, we combined backpacking with uh, a curriculum that we've developed uh, nice. to to help them plan for, for their marriage. Uh, we do something called the Garage, which is a regular uh, workshop. Uh, historically, it's been Zoom so we can invite couples from around the country uh, to the garage. And the, we, util, we utilize the term the garage because we think of uh, of talking about your marriage uh, similar to, to an oil change, right? Like you, you change your oil, not because your car is broken, but so that your car doesn't break, right? right. And so it's a, it's a regular process. It's a natural part of, of a relationship is to think about your relationship and, and, and help fine tune the engine of your marriage uh, for success. Right. So it's, it's, it's performance coaching, right? It is, it is prepping couples to succeed and accomplish their biggest dreams. Um, It's not things are falling apart. So you got to go see somebody that that's not our approach. We are not therapists. Like we're not certified therapists. We are for sure coaches. And we try to stay in our lane of Mm -hmm. coaching. And, and for us, that means plotting a path forward. What does that look like for you? Yeah. Okay, I like that. I really like I really like that analogy as far as it's like it's more of a maintenance, right? It's yep. something you want to maintain. You don't want to have to repair it because yep. a lot of times once things are broke, they're never the never the same. Yep. So, totally. um, yeah, that, that's a good way to, to look at it. One other thing that I thought was interesting when I was looking at the services you guys provide is a DISC assessment. Just because I see acronyms, I don't know what they mean. I want to yep. know. I instantly want to know what they mean. So tell me more about uh, DISC or DISC. She's totally. the DISC pro. Yeah, DISC is cool. It's having a moment right now um, in the in the corporate corporate development. Space. Um, DISC, DISC is um, a quadrant style personality model. And so D stands for dominance, I influence, S steadiness, and C conscientiousness. And the basic premise is that um, all people, all personalities fall in one of those four quadrants. And that's not to say that there's only four kinds of people. Certainly, there's as many ways to be human as there are humans, but that there are some general traits. Those are the macro, the macro spaces. Exactly. And then exactly. you get micro within them. Yeah, but, totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, but DISC, like Myers-Briggs or like um, the color model or even the Enneagram, like there's so many um, personality models that that could guide um, conversation about differences and similarities. And really, um, I mean, this, it's a workshop that I offer um, with with companies. I also integrate it into my coaching. Um, and it's, it's an assessment. It's an online assessment, but it's also a, a workshop um, that really can serve as a foundation for conversations between individuals to kind of learn it's like, okay, wh- wh- how do I respond to conflict? How do I respond to challenge? How do I, am I more of a fast paced person or a moderate, per- moderate paced person? Do I want to uh, maintain some time to contemplate and then get back to you when you ask me a question or am I going to respond really quickly and really try to be an activator? So that's the top half, bottom half. Top half would be more like fast paced fast-paced, dynamic, outspoken. Mm-hmm. Bottom half would be more moderate-paced, contemplative. And then you've got the left side, right side. So with the left side um, being people who are a little bit more skeptical, logic-focused, um, they might be more challenging and not challenging as in like challenging personalities, but like they might push back a little bit on yeah. a question or on a concept or something like that. Tell me why that is. And then on the right-hand side, people who are a little bit more people-oriented, they're more warm, accepting. That is me, more relationship-oriented. Um, and by the way, there are 
men and women in all of the quadrants. There's not just, it's not like all women are over here and relators and all men are over here logic oriented. Like there's, there's variety um, on, on, in all the quadrants, but really like when you start to situate yourself in each of those quadrants, it can give you both the self-knowledge to kind of look back and see patterns in yourself. It's like, okay, why do I respond the way that I do? Or why do I shut down when somebody tells me um, like, Hey, you missed this thing or, or, or maybe this, this item that you created is not up to par. You made some mistakes in your figures here. Um, like, why do I shut down in response to that? Or why am I so excited and so lit up when, when I have the opportunity to work in groups? Um, mm-hmm. But I just like drag my feet when I have to work by myself. And so some of those trends um, that you realize that it's not unique to you. There's, there's all kinds of, there are many people who there's share those tendencies. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you, when you learn that about yourself, you also learn that, you know, maybe, maybe there's another way of relating that doesn't mean that other person is broken. It just means uh. they're different and it helps, helps you start to bridge those gaps and speak that language with other people. Yeah. So it's a great tool to apply to teams, but also even just as an individual, something um, to apply to, to relationships or parenting styles or friendship styles. Sounds really interesting. Yeah. I like I, I like how you kind of made sure you said it's for the individual itself. Because when you first started explaining it, I was thinking like it's going to be from me learning more about my team, but it's more learning about yourself, yes. which in a way is going to teach you about everybody else. And then you notice like, hey, Joe's not being a dick. He's just on the right, right. side of this right. or the, the left side. So he's right. just questioning me because he wants to understand better. Right. Yes. And he doesn't just follow along like, like my side of my disc assessment. So yep. that's really cool. Totally. So, I haven't heard of that. And I'm surprised. I'm in a place where they do a lot of like corporate style stuff like that, as far as, yeah. you know, learning about, uh, about biases and trying to understand, you know, people's like mental energy and things like yep. that. You'll so probably start to hear more about it. It's definitely having a moment. I'm seeing, maybe it's because I, I am also in the disc world, but uh-huh. I feel like I see it everywhere that, you know, a lot of companies will do, they'll incorporate it into their corporate trainings or, or things like that. So it's cool. It's a cool model. Yeah. Sounds really cool. Um, there's also another thing that's really cool. Um, it seems that you have to offer is a mastermind program, right? Mm. There's a, there's a mastermind that you could sign up for. Why don't you guys fill, fill listeners in if they're getting interested in 2023. Yes. New 2023. New you, you can be a mastermind this year. You can be a mastermind. Tell me about it. All right. So this comes out of two things. Um, my just decade or so of working with teams and, and individuals and recognizing even for my own growth, the power of sitting around a table of wise people uh, who are asking good questions and challenging you and holding you accountable and um, helping you uh, think outside of your own box. Um, so that that's one element. Um, the second element is in my my coaching that that I do. Uh, I, I found that I I desire to have um, more people learning these tools than I have hours in the day to, to teach. Right, and so um, when you think about a day uh, of coaching, uh, it's really challenging to do eight one hour coaching sessions, yeah. right? I mean, that's pretty taxing to be dialed in and to be fully focused on someone. You can't give that person your full energy right. that many times. Yeah, That's right. And so um, one of the ways that I desire to, to, to increase uh, the, 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 the goodness that comes from these important conversations is through cultivating group sessions. And so a mastermind is basically a blend of those things. It's a blend of, uh, of coaching, um, but in a group setting, yeah 
where you are drawing from the wisdom of the collective. And so basically the way the mastermind structure works um, is we will gather together with a, a small group uh, of people and every person has the opportunity to bring a business challenge, a business idea, uh, entrepreneurship uh, goal, uh, something in their life. They, they get to bring that to the table. They'll have a set amount of time to kind of uh, describe what that challenge is. And then they get to sit back while uh, a small group of other people get to throw out ideas, uh, oh. critical questions, um, uh, thoughts about this, uh, a different idea about that, right? So you, really get, cool. to, you get to kind of uh, uh, brainstorm an idea with, with a group of, of people. Um, but my role is to basically be the moderator. So I get to make sure that everyone is getting their fair share of time and, and to guide the conversations a, a little bit. And so um, that's the mastermind model and process that, uh, that we'll be uh, offering this year. That's sick. I really nice. think that's like a great idea because I think it's really powerful when people with the same mindset get in a room together. Maybe not the same goals, right? Because right. all six of us, right? Maybe I maybe I need help with something in my business and maybe somebody else needs help in fitness or whatever the case right. may be. Right. But everybody's there with the right mindset that, hey, we need to improve this. That's and right. maybe mm -hmm. if everybody's there with different ideas and different problems, they have that's strengths right. in areas where your problems are. So yeah, in, in it's a the, really cool model. The, like the structure that. that we're using for uh, the first two masterminds that we'll launch this year are are open to any career, any any uh, you know um, uh, background of business uh, for specifically for that goal that that you're getting. You may have someone from a creative background uh, and someone working in a in a law firm, or or someone from a entrepreneur background working with uh, someone who has started a business of doing maid service um, and, and wants uh, just kind of good ideas and, and critical thinking. Yeah. Some masterminds are are specific to an industry as well, and we'll do those in the future as well. But oh, uh, for our first yeah. two, we want them to be uh, just the the, the power of the collective. Yeah. Yep. It's open. Is it is it open to all all income levels and things of that nature? Yeah. So we're gonna have two options. So the one mastermind will be set up for under six figure earners. So okay. that would be uh, you can apply to be a part um, if you are, are are earning under six figures. So not your gross business revenue, mm -hmm. but but your salary under six figures. Uh, and the second segment is. Uh, one to two fifty in income, so okay. uh, you would apply uh, to to be a part of either of those mastermind groups. I think it's smart to set those groups like that too, because it's like sometimes when you already are in that higher income, your approach to problem solving may be different than a, than a lower income person. Where it's like, well, yes, that sounds great, but I don't have that kind of capital available mm -hmm. to make that kind of stuff. So you're going to find people in your same range that are yep. being accurate. That's yeah, yeah. In each a mastermind, we're going to have what I'm calling an anchor, and an anchor is a person that I know personally. Uh, who's been vetted by the conversations I've had with them, who has found success uh, in an industry and is in a higher income bracket uh, than, than the group that they're a part of. And they're going to be there to be a, uh, not that they're the expert in the room, but they are a, 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 a verified um, source of, of good ideas or someone that I know personally who's willing to step in and contribute. So you know at least there's there's at least one person that I know has some pretty there's good some ideas. There's some value. Up. There's going to be some <laughs> value in there. Everyone yeah. else, yeah. but uh, that, that's part of it. That's awesome. That is that's really cool. Um, and what else was really cool was competing with you guys uh, in Oxnard. So I got to meet you guys before this podcast uh, at the Oxnard Movement Games competition. So that was that was a, a lot of fun. Um, has has fitness always been a big part of your two lives uh, before you guys met and after? Or for sure, yeah, for sure. And you know, certainly before we met and in our our childhoods, um, I come from a background of sport. Like I was always chasing a ball around as a kid. I played soccer. You know, from from soon after I could 
walk. Um, I know Dusty grew up uh, pumping iron in the basement with nice. his dad. So nice. you know, Bro even from with dad. Right. yeah, the tender girls young age girls. of yeah. fourteen. Yeah, <laughs> and it worked. So <laughs> they, you can't knock it. Yeah. Can't knock that's it. Dad right. knew what he was talking about. That's right. That's right. But after we got married, was when we discovered CrossFit, and it was. Um, it took us a while to join our local gym because we used that as a little bit of a carrot for um, after we paid off all of our student loan debt. We were like, mm -hmm. we're not going to join CrossFit until we're debt free. And so it took us two years from, you know, after discovering CrossFit and kind of like watching it from afar <laughs> and Peering then over the fence. Yes. Yeah. We were uh -huh. like the puppies at the window. But then once we, once we paid off all of our debt and we were debt free, the next month we showed up at the local CrossFit box and we became members and we've been training ever since that was 2014. So, uh, we've, uh, we, we, we drank the Kool-Aid. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> it's hard not, it's really hard not to, cause it produces results. It's I feel like, I feel like results is, is the, is the sugar inside Kool-Aid, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. It's like without the sugar, nobody really wants to drink Kool-Aid. So right. Um, so but yes, I mean, that that's that's funny that it seems to be like the recipe for your guys' life. And it looks like it's working out really good. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think uh, what I would say about CrossFit specifically, um, as opposed to just doing bicep curls in the mirror, yeah. um, which I'm not against. No, I still do that There's some worth there, yeah. yeah. But I think excuse me, something that we found with CrossFit is that the results are not just aesthetic. Right, it is not just the six-pack abs, um, but there is a community that's built uh, from that th those exercises. Um, there is a, uh, a a way of thinking. I, I it has transformed the way I approach hard things, right? Because I do something hard every day at the gym, right? Mm -hmm. um, it is a it has impacted the way uh, that that I I think about um, time, right? So, for example, uh, there are times where we will set the clock to clean the house, right? It's a it's a twenty minute AMRAP. Nice. AMRAP. Pick up as many things <laughs> okay. off the floor as we can in twenty minutes. Time. Right? Okay. I like right? it. It's capturing this idea of like, oh, if I am intentional and I work hard, I can get a lot done in a limited amount of time. And so for us, we have seen results in a variety of different areas. But maybe one of the biggest is our relationship. I mean, it has been a, a great source of connection, uh, of shared suffering, of shared celebration, um, uh, of shared uh, challenge. I mean. It, 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 I, I would say it's cheaper than therapy, but sometimes it's not. But we also go to we therapy. We also go to therapy. <laughs> so so we're not doubling down. Yeah. to it, you know. Yeah. And, but, I couldn't uh, agree with those statements more, though. I mean, everything everything to to the T. Like, my wife would definitely probably echo the same thing yeah. you just said yeah. at this table. It's definitely helped our relationship and not only our fitness, too. You know, since we started going to uh, Persistence Combined, I think we're down, like, 95 pounds That's between so the both awesome. of us. Because she just got done having both of our children yeah. and things like that. So, I mean. And yeah. we weren't in the healthiest lifestyle before then anyway. So it was like, it was like a really good igniter. And now we have more energy. And like you said, it, things don't seem as hard. You know, right. it's like I, I mentioned, I, I have to go to the 5 a.m. class just by the nature of the beast. It wouldn't be my first right. choice probably. Um, but it's like, after I get done that, I have this like habit of telling myself, like, if it's Monday, I'm like, all right, bring it on Monday. You know, it's yeah, like, totally. after what the hell Gage just put me through, I don't, uh -huh. <laughs> nothing can happen to me at work nothing that's going to compare to what that's I just great. did and I'm still alive. So I will you know. say too, like as a female, just, this is one of my favorite soapboxes related with CrossFit is that I think a lot of times, um, women's relationship to fitness can be a little fraught that, mm -hmm. you know, growing up, you, you have, you know, these messages about body image and messages about like fitness 
getting a certain size and a certain shape. And I certainly absorbed those growing up in American culture, even though I was an athlete. And I, I looking back, I certainly, I think I dodged the worst of it, but I was by no means um, immune to it. Uh, but it wasn't until after college that I shifted from, and finding CrossFit, that I shifted from working out because I wanted to look a certain way to working out at CrossFit because I wanted to be able to do certain things. Yeah. And I shifted in that mindset. It's a profound shift from working out because you don't like your body to working out because you like your body and you want it to be able to do more and you want to be able to explore a muscle up or a pull up or doing a handstand or double unders and all of those things don't don't relate with a number on the scale or a certain size of jeans or things like that. Nope. And that that was a permanent mindset shift mindset shift for me that I wish every female could have, because I, I think it really addresses a lot of those body image issues that, that you wind up raised with and that you think are normal, um, to being female, yeah. but they're really not. Yeah. I, I could. Yeah. I think, I think that's spot on, obviously from, even from a male perspective, I feel like I can see that in CrossFit gyms. And now we're like those people where we travel. It's like, well, let's see if there's a CrossFit gym around. Right. So go cool. check it out. And it's literally like that. Cause, cause, uh, hearing you're from Indiana, my mom now lives in Indiana. I'm originally from New Jersey, but she moved out there for, for work. So we go, we go there and luckily enough, there's a CrossFit gym in, uh, in her city. So we go there and it's the exact same kind of vibe. Like, yes. It's like you see the people around the city and everybody has like this this feeling and then you go see the people inside the CrossFit gym and they're like a completely different like species yes, of, of people. Yes, you found so your true. tribe. It sounds, so it true, sounds yeah. like I'm like pumping CrossFit <laughs> right now, but it's just it's just it's just it's just the the simple truth. So That's right. totally. Be before we put down our cups of Kool Aid, I want to know both of you favorite movements and least favorite movements. We'll mm. start with you, Cecily. Okay, so my favorite movement. This sounds crazy, Let but my favorite movement is the thruster, the barbell what? thruster. I know it's nobody's favorite oh I must be a glutton for punishment yeah. I think part of it is because I'm good at it and also because it's like you know if I could only do one barbell movement for the rest of my life it would be the thruster because it hits the upper body and the lower body and if you do it fast it's cardio it is probably the most well-rounded movement yes. I would say so totally. I, I can give you a agree there but definitely not favorite totally to do. and hilariously my least favorite movement this makes no sense my least favorite movement is the wall ball shot, which you could argue is a thruster. It is a thruster. It is a thruster with a wall ball, but you just have to throw it. But I just hate it so yeah. much. Why is that? Why is it that my 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 love and my hate are always the I same size? I'm the opposite the same because like I like I, I hate I hate thruster. Well, th th those aren't probably my two, but as far as the thruster goes, I hate the thruster, but I like I like wall ball shots right. because like if you get in the right groove, you can kind of like catch it at the bottom and just Ugh. explode up and you don't actually have to front squat with it. Yeah. So it's like if you got to like throw the thruster bar up in the air and yeah. then like right. get back down and get it. Right. But yeah. Dusty, how about you? You know, a quick story. I did a Spartan race before I joined CrossFit okay. and I felt like I was super fit. I had big biceps. You know, I was a classic. Girls for girls. Curls right. for the girls guy. <laughs> I couldn't climb the rope. Like oh, I shit. did the Spartan race and I, I got totally humbled by, by the <laughs> rope and I was a little embarrassed, but also frustrated at like, gosh, I, I feel like I'm strong enough to do this. I just don't know how to do it. Right. Yeah. So, um, I joined CrossFit and one of the things that I love to do is climb the rope yeah. and learning the technique and learning, uh, how, how it's a blend of strength, but also some skill, um, has been one of my favorite things. So I love workouts with rope climbs. I love doing rope climbs. And it's like one of the few things built for a tall guy like you in a CrossFit right. gym. Yeah. So it's like a double whammy. Yep. Yeah. And nice. I went back and did another Spartan race a few years later and climbed the rope. And I was Hell so yeah. stoked. I was like, <laughs> yeah. uh, conquered this. Take this, that, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. And least favorite, the burpee. 
I, yeah. I, I don't know why, but I actually, when we got married, I used to tell her that I thought I had a lung condition. I thought I had like something wrong with my lungs because when I would run, I couldn't breathe. You know, I'd go for a one mile run. I was like, I can't breathe. I, like, is this no, I think there's something wrong with my lungs. A doctor, yeah. but, right. Well, come to find out I, I was just out of shape. Yep. Like cardiovascular. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with my lungs, but I still sometimes feel like that. Right. When yeah. I do burpees, I'm like, I'm too fit for this to suck this bad, but burpees just always, always bad. It's like yeah. that joke from the doctor. Your problem isn't that bad lungs run in your family. Your problem is that no one runs, runs in your family. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I never heard that one. That's a good one. I'm going to use that one. Oh, I'm going to use man. that one. For me, I'm definitely, I'm definitely uh, with you, with you, Dusty. Burpees for sure. Um, if I had to pick a favorite movement, it would probably, I don't know if you can count the 400 meter run as a, as a movement, but I feel like it is. I feel yeah, like it's programmed pretty often. Yeah. But if you don't want to count that one, I'd probably just say wall balls just because I'm oddly good at them. So nice. it's like, so it's like I can usually string them together for a while and yeah. I can just nice. power my way, my way through them. But cool. Um, yeah. Love it. That, that is it. Um, and yeah, CrossFit community is kind of like what brought just about all the guests to this yellow table. That's and cool. one thing that you guys have in common with every guest that came to this yellow table is that they all got a random question from Mambo. So <laughs> every, oh every episode, the guests always get a random question from Mambo's. Today, random question is brought to you by Sweet Fuel by Jewel. They make absolutely delicious protein bars. If you haven't tried them, you can get them at Get Sweet Fuel or at any Persistence Culture facility around the Ventura County area. But Dusty, Cecily, here is your random questions from Mambo. Ladies first. Cecily, uh, how many languages do you speak? One and a half. I speak English and oh. then obviously I, I, or obviously English, but I took French in college and I lived in Switzerland. So, je parle un peu de français. Oh, okay. You know, she I watched her navigate this incredible interaction between a, a Mexican family in uh, in China. We were attempting to get to the Great Wall. A Mexican and, family in China. Okay, yes. Yo hablo So it's three. It's one and three quarters. <laughs> one and three quarters. <laughs> She speaks Spanish. She doesn't say she does because she doesn't think she speaks it well. For sure, she speaks Spanish. Yeah, I watched no, this no. this crazy intercultural communication happen on the other side of the world. Well, in now China. that you live in Ventura County, you'll learn it. I yeah. guarantee you that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Totally. Um, I can't believe that, though, with all the places that you've traveled, like, uh, just you just kind of go fly by the seam of your pants. Then oh, do yeah. you like use, like, a translator now, like a Google translator or anything to help you? Or are you guys just kind of... Do sign language and and just uh, you know English English is gets you around the world yeah. for yeah. sure um, and uh, you know like you learn you learn street signs even in in like parts of Asia I mean I would I'm thinking about like China Beijing Harbin and then also Japan like there's very little there there's like no English signs in Japan but you just kind of like learn the characters and even if you don't know what a character means you can recognize it from yeah. the map and it's like okay that's the sign though <laughs> because the character's a little swoopy like that and so gotcha. you know you can kind of you. You don't have to speak the language to get around, mm -hmm. at least in written signage. We spent our first year of marriage living in Kenya, and uh, yeah. Cecily picked up a lot of Swahili while we were there. And so she she just has a she has an ability to capture languages. She just has a, a really great mind. I, I would say if we ever have children, uh, they're going to get their their brains from her. For <laughs> sounds, sure. it sounds like she's being humble. It sounds like you know about five languages. Yeah. Six Yo, languages. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, uh, Dusty? How many how many languages? Oh, uh, to be entirely honest, I would tell people I speak more than I really can. I'm the opposite. <laughs> okay. I'm like, yeah, I speak Spanish. Yeah. Like I, I can have a, a greeting and, you know, know how to ask where the bathroom is. But but really, I speak one. I speak English. Yeah. That is all I speak well. <laughs> all right. So you shared uh, her random question. Yours is uh, what um, what's your favorite boy or girl band? 
Mm. Yeah. Mm. Nice. Nice. Boy or girl band? Um, that's an interesting Jeez. question. Um, I, I, <laughs> um, it, you know, this is a difficult one for me to answer. Because there's a real answer. There's a real answer in there. Come on, Dusty. Who is it? Uh, you know, the Backstreet Boys were just, they hit me at a time in life when I was developing um, and and desiring to be everything that is cool and that girls want. And the Backstreet Boys were it. Yeah. Right? And so my brother actually, uh, this back in the day when you had like a VCR, right? He would record <laughs> MTV videos, music videos. And so there, there was a Backstreet Boy video video that he recorded and that we just watched all the time. Were you guys right? choreographing together in the living room? Were the breeding boys getting down or what? We don't the curl boys. There's no dance ability, but for sure I was like embodying what it would be Thinking like to about it. be a backstreet boy and just have yeah. that much like coolness and hair. I'm, I, you know, I have no hair. I'm, I'm bald. I think so. this is the best right. answer for a yeah, random seriously. question. Oh, seriously. <laughs> Dude. Backstreet Boys. I Backstreet wish I'd known you back Hell then. Yeah. Hell yeah. How about you guys? Well, back- what about you? <laughs> All right. Mm. You know, I was an NSYNC girl. It's it's either NSYNC or Backstreet Boys for the millennials. You know, okay. like those were really the two boy bands. And so I, NSYNC was, was the first one I liked. So Jason. So for me, it's actually a little bit before that. And I'm blaming my sister on that it's new kids on the block oh, she had like she had like new kids on the block like like bed set and posters all over her wall and stuff like that so of course i had to like clown them but i had this like secret admiration for the uh for the new kids on the block so it's like new kids on the block were 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 the first like boy band that i was like secretly listening to kind of like that's dusty great. in the in the in the living room Love back that. home that's great so, yeah new kids on the block how about you i was gonna go with NSYNC, but now that you said uh New kids on the block. Yeah. yeah. Nick, yeah. New kids on the block. Yeah. The right like stuff it. is yeah. still a jam. When yeah. the right stuff comes on, man, it hits, you know? Look what, know it did for, look what it did for Donnie. I mean, he's just absolutely right? famous. He's becoming like a famous actor because of it now. Yeah. I think that was the greatest answer that you gave. Yeah, that was awesome. Well th- thought out, too. Crushed it, Dusty. Everything with it. Dusty is well thought yeah. out. I can tell that about you guys. Everything about Skull and Bone Society. Yes. So real quick, tell the listeners where they can find more out about Skull and Bone Society if they want to sign up for some of your services. or. W- www.skullandbonesociety.co dot com. Okay. We got the, you know, it's the second place prize of hey. domains. <laughs> uh, we also do socials, you know, so at Cecily Breeding on Instagram, I'm at Dusty Breeding. Perfect. Um, that's a great way to connect with us as well. So you're open to just DMs and stuff Absolutely. like that. And looking, hey. looking Absolutely. To get, hey, slide yep. into the DMs. Yep. Right anytime. Now, right? Anytime. Yeah. That's awesome. This has been a great, awesome episode. It was really fun getting to know you guys. I'm Same. glad that you're here in uh, Ventura County now. I'm hoping if you guys want to drop in on a 5 a.m. class, hey. you know, I'm just saying. There we go. Just saying. I'd love to see you at the yellow wall with me, but it was a blast having you at the yellow table. So thanks again, guys. Awesome. Thank, Thank you. you. Guys. Yeah. Thanks for having us. And Jason, we made it to episode 100. Hey. Hey. 100. Yeah. 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 Where's the champagne? Yeah, man. Pop the so ball, so uh, real quick, man, I got I to gotta shout out Sky. Yes. He's, he's let us use, uh, we, we actually did a couple of episodes behind a liquor store yep Big awesome. shout out to Sky. No. He's, he has yeah. a little studio awesome. set up there. It's like yeah, straight like a awesome. like a speakeasy kind of studio. And then the uh, we were store. doing. We started at the radio station. Yep. So That's, big shout out to you and hey. and, and the radio station That's for awesome. letting us do that. So cool. and then we did a couple. Uh, I, I believe it was one or two episodes at the gym. At the gym. Yep. Cool. We did. Yeah. We did Will Sire at the gym. Uh, we did uh, Maria at the gym. So we had some. We had some cool episodes there. Right Goggins. there. Yeah. yeah. We, we got to interview David Goggins at no uh, Persistence Culture. Awesome. Yeah. Super cool. 
Yeah, so I mean, it's been a good first 100, and I'm just even more stoked for the next 100. And I feel like we're just starting, so oh, there's, yeah, dude. there's Congrats, a lot more ahead. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, yeah. if you're just listening to this as your first episode, peel through that library. There's tons of really, really dope shows about a bunch of dope people. So Yeah, great people that we've had on. And uh, thank you guys so much for uh, following us, and make sure you guys give us a follow at Persistence Culture on Instagram. Keep moving.